0: Good morning, church. Grateful to be with you here together in our online service. Uh, We are continuing in our series in the wonderful chapter of Romans uh, chapter 8, the great 8, as it said. So if you have a Bible at home, uh, maybe it's on your phone. Open up to Romans chapter 8. We're going to be walking through. I'm going to start reading in verse 1, and we're going to dive right in and uh, explore some more about how the Apostle Paul is describing to us and for us Uh, the wonderful grace of god um, and how the grace of god is uh is better than we even think it is um and is um, more pervasive than we care to give it credit for and so um romans 8 here we go beginning in verse 1. Uh, the Apostle Paul says this, just as a reminder, we've been through these, but I want to just keep reading them over us so that they just root into our hearts so that we begin to believe uh, the goodness of these words in our lives. Uh, we need these words. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. For the law of the spirit of life has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death, for God has done with the law, weakened by the flesh, could not do. Now, in other words, uh, Paul is telling us; he is reminding us that the the law was wonderful, um, the law was tremendous. the The problem, though, with the law was that it had to operate through me; was that it had to operate through you. And so there's absolutely no problem with the Ten Commandments. In fact, if we would just live by those, if we would honor those, if we would walk in those uh, the way that God wants us to, life would be incredible we would have all of these tremendous things and humanity would be this beautiful picture of all that God would want for us, all that that God would want for us to to love him most fully and to love one another as brothers and sisters of God would. Um, But Paul is saying the problem with that is you and I, is the men and women trying to keep the law, We just can't do it. No matter how hard we try, no matter how hard we measure up, just go back to Romans chapter 7, we end up doing the very thing we don't want to do. And we can't even do that which we want to do. It's Paul's great dilemma. But here in Romans 8, we see the gospel. Um, We see the good news. We see that because we could not keep it, because we couldn't live in that which God wanted so much for us, God did something. God has done something. Um, And so what did God do in our impasse when we could see no way through, when there was a shut door in front of us? Uh, What did God do when we couldn't move forward? What did God do when we broke his law and we were condemned in our sin and we kept breaking it and kept breaking it and kept breaking it no matter how hard we tried to do better? Verse 3, God sent his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, what day is that that we celebrate? It's the day uh, before my dad's birthday where he receives absolutely no presents uh, on that day because there's another big day coming. Um, The day where God sent his only son in the likeness of sinful flesh. That day is Christmas. Paul just showed us Christmas right here in Romans 8. In verse 3, he continues and he says, So he sent his son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned, God condemned sin in the flesh, meaning in the flesh of his only son. What day is that? Where our judgment fell upon this one and only son, not for that which he did, but for that which we did. You know, it's the day where there's uh, for some reason, little rabbits that hop around and we go search for eggs and all of our kids are dressed in really cute pastels. Um, Paul just showed us, it's, he told us about Easter. So here in Romans 8, we're given the meaning and the purpose for Christmas and Easter. Paul saying in our impasse where we could find no way forward, God did something that we could not do. The incarnation of Christ, where God sent Jesus in the likeness of sinful flesh. Now, what does that mean? That doesn't mean that Jesus was sinful. He was like us in the likeness of sinful flesh, yet with no sin. And he also sent his only begotten son without sin in the likeness of sinful flesh. So he looked like us. He incarnated into our world. He became part of flesh and blood. And he goes on, he says, he sent him as an offering for our sin. He condemned sin in his flesh. Christ's body upon that tree was cursed for what I did. Christ's body upon that tree, nailed to that tree, to that cross, was cursed for what you did. So how can he say then in verse 1, for you and I, there's no condemnation? Uh, here's the amazing thing. Why we have and celebrate Christmas and Easter. Why we gather together and sing in church. Why we love to open up the Holy Scriptures and let them teach our hearts and mold us and shape us. Why we are called together as brothers and sisters in Christ to lift up the name and purpose of Jesus uh, in our families, in our friend groups, in our neighborhoods, in our schools, in our workplaces, and all around the world. Here's why because you've been set free from the law by a gift of God through Christ being crushed for you. And you know what you and I did? We stood by. Uh, He sent his son, Christ died, and you were given the greatest gift ever. You were set free I was set free from the curse of sin and death itself, our greatest enemy. And as a result of this gift, while we stood by and we were given the most amazing thing, um, that's the reason we worship. That's the reason Zach just sang. We don't sing songs because we think they're neat and we like singing songs we sing songs because songs communicate this deep emotional worship filled connection and the only thing we know how to do at times is is lift our voices in song and adoration to that which God has done so we worship we spend our lives telling those we care most deeply about that this one has come and took the very sting of death away that which we needed the most. And he doesn't uh, make us feel bad. He just gives us grace and he gives us spirit and he gives us life. Incidentally, as you read through Romans 8, even in verses one through three, or especially in verse three, all that God has done, are you mentioned anywhere? No. No. We're standing there in complete wonder and amazement to our very surprise that God somehow in his providential, incredible plan brought forth life out of death. Verse 4, in order that, what's the purpose? In order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. So what's the requirement of the law for you and I outside of Christ? What do we have to do to go to heaven? According to God's law, you just have to be perfect. That's pretty simple, right? You have to be as good as God articulated in the law. And then he'll say, come on in. We can never measure up to that. Um, And so Christ fulfilled the requirement for me. He lived the life that I should have lived and died the death that I deserved. Incidentally, again, here in verse four, are you mentioned? No. God did this apart from you. Um, now that might even like kind of hurt your feelings a little bit, but he didn't need your help. Uh, that's why we don't cooperate in our salvation. That's why it is grace alone, through faith alone, and God alone through Jesus did it for us, and we just receive. That's why we say this all the time with our empty hands of faith because when we come to that place, it produces in us that which God loves, and that's called humility. Um, Pride gets in the way of a lot of things. Pride is the very... um, antithesis of worship humility is our proper position and when we understand that god did what we could not do and we receive all of him and his goodness um, it places us i think exactly where god wants us but it's fulfilled this fulfillment is fulfilled in a particular way the end of verse 4 to those god says who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. And this is interesting. As you look at this, this is not um, a commandment he's giving. Paul's saying, so when this happens, when you are saved and you are freed from the requirement of the law, and now you don't walk according to the flesh, you walk according to the Spirit. This is not a commandment. This is a fact. He's saying this is the result of coming to God with your empty hands of faith. In other words, saved people are now in Christ, and those who are in Christ now share in his death to sin, and they share in his resurrection life. We have new life. Now, there's a word mentioned here more times than any other chapter in all of the Bible in Romans 8, and it's this word, the Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God communicates to you and I divine life and how we're to live. We're led, we're guided, we're directed. In verse five, these saved people, you and I, Christians, live differently, Paul's saying. According to the the Puritans would use this word, um, which I love. They would say, through the unction of the Holy Spirit. That's a good word. The mind of Christ is now in you, if you've been born again, as the Bible would call it. Watch this in verse 5. And Paul is now going to show us the lifestyle of a justified man and woman, a justified Christian who is free from the, catch this, the power of sin. Um... Romans 8 tells us when we are saved, when we are justified by Christ through faith, we are now free from the power of sin. We're not free from the presence of sin, but we're free from the power of sin. We still struggle, right? We're free from the power. However, we've been changed and there's a great change. There's now grace and there's love and there's also a disgust for sin in us. We hate it. So does your life look like that, church? Verse five teaches us what happens now that we are united with Christ. Is this you? A justified man or woman is a sanctified man or woman, meaning we're growing and learning and being conformed to the image of God through Jesus by the Holy Spirit. People begin to live out, if you're a Christian, If you're a Christ follower, if this tremendous change has happened in you, we begin to live out who we really are. What do I mean? This is what Paul's getting at. Um, If you go up to a cat, uh, follow me, track with me, and you pull the cat's tail, what does the cat do? It hisses at you. Why? Because it's a cat, right? Um, Dogs, for some reason, uh, chase cars, it's really annoying sometimes, right? When you think you're going to run over a dog. Why do dogs chase cars? I don't know. They're dogs. They just chase cars and bark at them. Do cats chase cars? Nope. They hiss. They don't chase cars. Uh, do dogs hiss? No, because why? They're not cats. They're dogs. They can't. Um, so dogs chase cars. Catch this. Track with me. You heard it here first. Not to become dogs. It's not like something can chase a car and you'd be like, oh, that's a dog now. No, they chase cars because they are dogs. It's just in them. They can't, some dogs just can't not chase a car. Paul is saying something similar here, believe it or not. He's saying, if you are in Christ, you are fully in him now. It's now who you are. He says, you don't walk anymore according to the flesh. That's not you. You have been freed from the power of the flesh. It doesn't control you. You now do something different. You walk according to the Holy Spirit of God. Saved people are changed people, Paul's telling us. Who God saves, God keeps, because God does the work. Listen to verse Uh, five through eight, and then we'll be done. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh. But those who live according to the spirit, new creation, set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace i need that you need that for the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to god for it does not submit to god's law indeed it cannot and those who are in the flesh cannot please god verse 5 through 8 is not a commandment to do better Uh, it's a fact Saved people are changed people, Paul's saying. Have you been changed? Saved people are placed in a position of forgiveness, and they're placed in Christ, and therefore, we are changed people. And we actually continue to change. We continue to learn new um, things about who God is, and we begin to change in those recesses that are still sinful because the presence of sin is still real, but because we're free from the power of sin, we can actually change. And now Paul says, the mind of the Christian, those saved, long for the things of God. And he says, if your mind longs for sin, he says, you're not really changed. But ongoing love for the things of God is how we begin to know that we've been saved. By the Spirit of God, for the glory of God. So as Paul puts it, are you alive to God and at peace with God? How do you know? Do you long for God's word? Do you love God's word? Do you forgive easily because you've been forgiven of much? Do you stand up for life and justice? Do you love gathering with God's people, the church, brothers and sisters? Do you long for those that are far from God to come near to God because it's made such a profound impact and has changed your life? Do you hate sin and its ugly, rippling effects in your life and in the life of those around you? because our sins have consequences on those around us. Those who are in the flesh, the Bible says, cannot please God. So if you carry in your heart, let's say uh, racism, if you carry in your heart lust, if you carry in your heart greed, if you carry in your heart envy and there is no remorse there is no conviction by the spirit of your sin there is no longing to change and to see sanctification and to see gospel renewal in places of darkness in your heart then Paul is saying to you and I that that is not a life marked by conversion and life in the spirit and peace with God if you are mired in sin and it does not bother you and it does not produce in you conviction. Paul says, evaluate your life and your heart. This is a verse that is meant to rattle us and to wake us up. This is a verse that has us in the church to self-evaluate. Are there recesses in my heart that are um, covered in darkness, that love sin, that don't let God in, and that long for it. Paul says, um, the Spirit of God invades those places and makes us change our affections, and we begin to hate those places. And we want to root them out, and we want to bring them to the light, and we want the very Holy Spirit of God to change us and be conformed into the image of the this son, this incarnate one that took the penalty for us because we can't do it on our own. So church, let's this week evaluate our hearts and our minds and our lives to say, are we alive to him? Are we at peace with him? Because of the work of Christ and the power of the spirit that now wants to produce life in you. If not, get to your knees and beg him to change you um for all of us drop to our knees this week and ask him to continue to change us and continue to sanctify us that we might look more and more and more like our risen lord Jesus by his power through his spirit for the glory of god let's pray together lord jesus <clears throat> thank you that you did all that was necessary for us so that we can come near to you, that we can worship you, that we can be changed by you. God, I ask that we collectively as your people would um, continue to hear from you in the places in our hearts and our lives that are dead to you, God, and that we have maybe cut you out And would you go into those very places and produce life and faith? God, for maybe someone listening here this morning um, that has never surrendered to the goodness of Jesus in their hearts, Lord, may they do that even here today when they ask that the Holy Spirit of God through the death, burial, and power of the resurrection of Jesus, your only Son, may they uh, be invaded by the goodness of God through Jesus Christ and may you save them and sanctify them and may they grow and change into your likeness. Thank you that you can do that. Thank you that you've done that to so many in our midst and continue to grow and shape us. We love you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.